University of California Television presents this podcast of Lunch Poems featuring California Poet Laureate Al Young. This program from UC Berkeley's Noontime Poetry Reading Series was recorded in November 2005. For more information about this and other UCTV programs, visit us online at www.uctv.tv. Enjoy the presentation. I was a co-editor of uh, a magazine called Generation as an undergraduate at the University of Michigan with uh, another writer, undergraduate writer named Ann Doniger. And we were sophomores. I don't know how we, we got the position, but there we were. And uh, a lot of it was during a period when a lot of the Korean uh, War vets were coming back to school under the GI Bill of that time. And uh, one, one such person was X.J. Kennedy. Uh, you know, he was older than we were. And he, came in there with some poems, and it was the era of the new criticism, you know, objective, correlative, and all of that uh, T.S. Eliot stuff. And we really were conditioned to believe that if you could understand a poem, if a poem appeared to be clear, that it couldn't be any good. You know, uh, <laughs> we thought that it had to be cryptic, you know, arcane in some way. So he gave us a poem called Karma. We had no idea what karma was. <laughs> And so we sat there at the meeting and we said, you know, this is good. You know, we've got we to do this. So, of course, we, we published him. Uh, at the same time, uh, there was a, a young man named Peter Zimmels. And Peter Zimmels was, was always fascinating to me because he, he just had a flair for breezy language. He would stand in the hallway and say, do you have a quarter as such? I'd say, what, what do you mean by a quarter as such, Peter? He says, I don't want 25 pennies. I don't want two dimes and a nickel. I don't, you know, you get the idea. So he gave us a poem called Sundays in Democracies, and uh, we didn't understand it, and we published it. We thought it was good. But uh, many decades later, in fact, uh, just a few years later, uh, just a few years ago, I should say, uh, I dug that poem out. I always loved the title, Sundays in Democracies, and I still couldn't understand what Peter was driving at. Now, he subsequently, subsequently became a, a Buddhist monk in uh, Thailand, and then he became a lyricist for the Grateful Dead. Some of you might know his, his name. So I just jettisoned everything he'd written and, and, and kept the title and wrote my own poem and dedicated it to him. So this is Sundays in Democracies for uh, Peter Zimmels. For people interested in structure, it's, it's three sonnets that are kind of interlinked. Sundays in Democracies for Peter Zimmels. Republicans, you're poor because... You're ignorant of all the laws our Congress passed to cut the costs of schooling children who get tossed, nay, dumped upon society. While we do view with piety the right to life, we draw the line. Clean up your act. To woo or whine the loser class does not make sense. Let's get this straight. We never winced at taking public time to quarrel with victims, thugs, the huge immoral segment of the population in our great, God-blessed, rich, free nation. The Democrats. There was a time the GOP and all its crime got barely covered by the news, which only aired our sins and blues. What have they done for you, my friends? Is making do or making ends meet any measure of success? We back the same big business mess they do. But when we tighten your belt, 
we dig up Franklin Roosevelt. We've given you prosperity without their stark severity. The only thing we have to fear, Republicans. <laughs> now, is that clear? A citizen, more parties, please. More Sundays in democracies. Each party dances, each side sings, one great big bird with two right wings. <laughs> They'll boogie with you in the streets, then drag you down to dark defeats. Democracy? Look at our heroes. CEOs, billions. Labor's, zeros. Pure DNA, unspliced and spliced. If you think oil is overpriced, consider what we're going to pay for giving frequencies away. The broadcast ban. I say, let's vote. Let's kick some butt. Let's rock some boat. <laughs> Thank you. When I was interviewed as one of four contenders for the position of the post of uh, Poet Laureate by our governor. Uh, in the middle of the, the interview, we'd, we were supposed to have spoken for about five or six minutes on a late Friday afternoon, and we ended up uh, talking for about 45 minutes. He, sh he shocked me and I think his, his staff as well but by uh, quoting large portions of the poem I'm about to, to, to give you. And I remembered, that's right, he is an actor. He, he had memorized it. The poem, the source of the poem, uh, goes back to UC Santa Cruz. I was teaching there in an, an interdisciplinary uh, uh, course called, uh, curriculum called uh, Community Studies, which was really very exciting. Uh, the kids would uh, be in, in, in school for a while, and then they would have to go out and actually work and come back and write uh, a thesis on their work experience, combining theory and, and practice. It's a program that's still going. And I had one older uh, student, they still use the term non-traditional, and to me that means older and, and interesting. <laughs> and uh, this was a woman who had four children by two husbands, and her third husband uh, had given her no children. So once a month she would say to me, I won't be in class uh, Professor Young, because I, it's conjugal visiting day at the queue. And I eventually got the nerve to ask her what that meant, and she told me all about it, that uh, her husband was in, in prison. He'd always been there, that is, they, they met through correspondence. That was sort of a vogue at one time where uh, lots of, of women were, and men were, were meeting um, uh, the, their, their mates, their, their spouses, future spouses, uh, through correspondence with prisoners. So uh, I asked her what it was like. She said, well, it's really kind of nice because uh, every time we see each other, it's like a honeymoon. Uh, we show each other poems we've been writing and talk about books we've been reading and make love. And, you know, they have this special meal out there in the trailer court where they have the conjugal visits. And then she said, when I get back to Santa Cruz and I'm trying to take care of my kids and, and, and get my studies and do my work, he can't mess with me because he's locked up. <laughs> so, so, you know, the human condition just always emerges. There's a subtext of this poem, which is, which is fairly obvious, and that is um, 
California, I think, competes with Texas. I'm not sure who's ahead right now at having the most prisons, and we're building them at a very rapid rate. And uh, the figure is still solid. Uh, Stanford tuition is about $36,000 a year these days, and that's what it costs per man and woman uh, to keep them locked, locked up. So it's a matter of values. Conjugal visits, and this is done presumably in her voice. By noon, we'll be deep into it, up reading out loud in bed, or in between our making love, I'll paint my toenails red. Reese say he got to change his name from Maurice to Malik. He'd think I need to change mine too, conversion, so to speak. I ain't no Muslim yet, I say. Besides, I like my name. Kamisha still sounds good to me. I'll let you play that game. I'd rather play with you, he say, than trip back to the 60s. The 60s, eh? I'm on his case. Then I won't do my striptease. This brother look at me and laugh. He know I love him bad, and worse, he know exactly how much loving I ain't had. He grab me by my puffed-up waist and pull me to him close. He say, I want you in my face or on my face, Miss Toes. Forgive me, high school kids, but I'm sure if you have HBO at home, you, you, you hear worse than that. What can I say? I'd lie for Reese, but I'm not quitting school. Four miles to feed, not counting mine. Let urban studies rule. I met him in the one ads. We fell in love by mail. I say when people bring this up, wasn't no one up for sale. All these black men crammed up in jail, all this IQ on ice. While governments, bank presidents, the mafia don't think twice. They fly in dope and make real sure their hands stay nice and clean. The chump change Reese made on the street, what's that supposed to mean? For what it costs the state to keep you locked down, clothed, and fed, you could be learning Harvard stuff and brilliant skills, I said. Reese say, just kiss me one more time, then let's get down, make love, then let's devour that special meal I wish they'd serve more of. They say the third time out's a charm. I kind of think they're right. My first, he was the ace of swords, which didn't make him no knight. He gave me Zeus and Brittany. My second left me twins. This third one ain't about no luck. We're honeymooners, friends. I go see Maurice once a month while Moms looks after things. We'd be so glad to touch again. I dance. He grins. He sings. When I get back home to my kids, schoolwork, the copy shop, Ain't no way Reese can mess with me. They got his ass locked up. <laughs> Some unpublished poems. It's really uh, endlessly uh, intriguing to me how perfectly culture reflects a society's values as they wax and wane. And I look at uh, contemporary you know, vernacular dance and uh, it's really saying something that you know, people don't touch quite often. They just sort of you know, stand 
uh, across from each other and jiggle around and do all of these these uh, self-important make all these self-important moves. Um, I come from another era. Uh, ooh, baby, baby. Ooh, baby, baby. Doo-wop. And it's really funny because I was I was not a I wasn't a doo-wop person. I was one of those tedious jazz people as a, as an adolescent. But all of that melted when it came to social, you know, socializing. You had to get with doo-wop if you wanted to dance and, you know, get a girlfriend or something like that. So this is a poem about that. Uh, imagine it's Detroit right across the river from uh, Windsor, Ontario. Down in one of those uh, basements, rec rooms, uh, there was a rec room uh, fad in the, in the 1950s in American homes. Uh, and they ranged all the way from a basement with a, a coal heater and a couple of folding uh, card tables, you know, uh, that you'd put up to put food and drink on, to very elaborate. But parents who left their, their kids down there in those, uh, in those rec rooms were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Doo-wop, the moves. Let's make no bones about it, whatever this means or ever meant to you. Darling, you know your way through what I'm about to say. Doo-wop still steals the moment, the sizzling thrill of closeness, the slowness of our touch, too much, too messy to process. Back when dawn rose off the river, we'd feel it. Feel felt like enough when flowering was new and not easy to handle. Neither was breathing. All that light funneling in from Canada ferried over the river while you put a move on my heart. Heart and soul, flesh and bone, doo-wop was known to sabotage. All across the land, white citizens' councils shouted and warned, Negro music is corrupting white youth. Boycott Negro music. We were young, too. You pressed your hand behind my neck. You kissed my mouth. Wham! So who'd kissed whom? You still wonder? In one slow move, you slithered and drizzled snail trails all up and down eroded maps of me. Doo-wop. Stone slow of step sticks to you. Lasts. The doo-wop mind cries, Oh, baby, you know I love you. Always thinking of you. I place no one above you. And you know I'll never snub you. Under doo-wop's spell, you make no bones. You shake your perfume booty, you go for keeps. There's a jazz writer named uh, Gene Lees, who's bilingual. He speaks French and English, and he's, uh, he has a book called Singers and the Song, in which he just talks about American singers. And the first uh, chapter in the book is called uh, William and Harold, or How to Write Song Lyrics. Lees has written... Uh, the lyrics to some songs that you all know. For example, he took Antonio Carlos Jobim's uh, Corcovado and, and uh, wrote the, the Quiet Nights lyrics that we know. Quiet nights of quiet stars, quiet chords from my guitar floating 
on a silence that surrounds us, and so forth. So in this, he says that when in the Norman invasion, uh, an interesting thing happened. Uh, the English, what was to become the English language was, was Latinized yet again, and uh, enriching English so that, you know, if someone writing in English has, they, you have choices. You can go French, you can go Anglo-Saxon, you know, you can be hard and dirty and fast, or you can be tender and smooth. Most of our love songs, most of our songs are love songs, and most of our poems are love, about love, but there are only five words in English that properly rhyme with, with love. Uh, whereas uh, with amour, as he points out in, in this delightful essay, uh, they're 85 or 90, so they have a lot more interesting stories. So we're doomed to hear what I just read in that poem. Oh, baby, I'm always thinking of you. Place no one above you. Uh, he says it properly, of, the preposition doesn't, doesn't really go. It, uh, in, in American English it works, but it doesn't work in British English because their of sounds more like suave, you know, of, something like that. Pink, full, moon. Uh, this was written a couple of months ago, and there was actually a, a pink, full moon right, right over here over University Avenue. Pink, full, moon. Erotic and always under the gun, you're anything but a heated sun. Tonight, the brightness of you, pink and full in this vacuum, could sink the Titanic all over again. Hovering above conversations and covering everything I might rearrange or sight, lose me in your labyrinth of light. And I'm going to go back to a poem. Uh, you probably wonder what a poet laureate does. And I, I'm, you're not alone. I'm still wondering myself. <laughs> but I was commissioned along with uh, Devorah Major and um, Janice Mirkatani. Uh, to write poems about the, the opening uh, of the de Young on the 15th of October. And uh, I didn't know I was going to read this, but I'll read it. Uh, we each took different approaches to that. This is called, Why What You See, Why What You Get, Why You? A celebration of the reopening of the de Young Museum of Fine Arts, 15 October, 2005. It opens with an epigraph from Mary MacLean, who was a celebrated Aboriginal painter of Western Australia. And she, said, she says, quote, I used to paint dots, very neat ones. Not anymore. Wild woman now. <laughs> I'd always love that. <laughs> you know, she, got, she got wise to this art thing, you know, just let go. What you see isn't all you get. Night moves the sky of mind aside enough to let imagination gush in. Remember the last time you got quiet, then got high on Mayan, Nubian, African stuff, Grecian, Russian? Remember how the child you stepped through scenes without leaving a trace? Your eye print, all that mattered? Your cave art heart, the clearing ground? Soul cleans away debris so we can see and feel the heart that shattered under a blanket of daylight comes back to us to hunt us where we live. If you can touch Hatchetput with an eye, then jump to John Brown just before he'll confront us with his death. Then 
you can lose the your, the my, and see, you see as us alone. We see as in muse, mausoleum, as in pause, the way each click, each lick, and every breath stitch unhitches, sets free the tiny you, a museum, a memory trace, mere fiction, to make room for death. Can death be more than just another mask? How do the Dogon know so intimately the mysteries of Sirius B, a star astronomers stumbled upon just recently? To log on in real time? Turn up at the art of Africa, not very far from the pre- and post-amnesiac Americas, or New Guinea, Indonesia, Polynesia, Central Asia, Dreamtime Australia. Wrap your spirit around sculpture the big you already knows by feel and by heart. Why nickel and dime your love-leaning, meaning-hungry, beauty-starved self? Push aside the thinking you enough to stun and wow the being you, a stream of light, weighed in the wealth of unfathomable years whose moments you can know only as now. You can tell I'm not comfortable with that yet, but there it is. Uh, people have told me that uh, I don't deal with darkness enough in my poetry. Uh, these are fellow poets. They say, you know, you really got to get into darkness because that's what people like. Uh, so, you know, you, you listen to people and you say, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. Here's one result. It's a poem called Depression, Blues, Flamenco, Wine, Despair. <laughs> Depression, blues, flamenco, wine, despair. Sunk in, they make you cross your heart and die for hope. Dark times come at you, they don't care. So deal with this, they say. And so you buy the pain and stress, the restlessness, the works. Low back pain, aches and limps, the twitch of fear your face betrays. John Dizzy Burke's Gillespie's cheeks puffed out, fat love and itch scratched by the trumpet at his goateed lip. They said, take chances. Stretch. Jump at the sun. You just can't spend your whole life acting hip. Be corny sometimes. Have yourself some fun. You can't be cool forever, so relax. Diz knew puffed cheeks were anything but chic, but when you closed your eyes, you heard him axe infinitives, split atoms, hairs. You speak that tongue. Curves, flatlands, all of it. You do. You understand the hoodoo stab of hurt, the blues, their messy messages, a few trashed hopes, some lame goodbyes, her skirt, your coat, the folded jeans, wet tight, wet tights, black night is falling all around you in the rain. Dark times, dark times can fix you in the light of reason, recognition, lasers, pain. And I think, how are we doing for time? It's about, we're about there, aren't we? 
is the way is the way I feel. Uh, this is the poem that you'll find out there on Addison Street, the Addison Street uh, project, which uh, Bob Haas and many others uh, worked very hard to bring about. And you go out there sometimes, and somebody has dropped a slice of pizza on your poem, you know. <laughs> and you look around, and nobody knows knows who you are or what that's all about. But you sort of, you know, move the pizza aside so that people can read what you what you have. This is the poem you'll find out there uh, from me. It's called "Who I Am in Twilight." Like John Lee Hooker, like Lightning Hopkins, like the blues himself. The trickster's sonnet, hoedown, the tango, the cante hondo, like blessed spirituals and ragas custom made, like sagas, like stories, like slick, sly, slow soliloquies sliding into dramas, like crime and punishment, like death and birth, Canal Street, New Orleans, like the easy, erasable, troubled voices a whirling ceiling fan makes in deep summer nights, in hot, unheavenly hotels, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee. Like the Mississippi River so deep and wide you couldn't get a letter to the other side. Like Grand Canyon, like Yosemite National Park, like beans and cornbread, like rest and recreation, like love and like. I know we last. I know this bleeding stops. Thank you. And I'll end with uh, a poem that is not complete yet, but it's complete enough to read. It's called Notes on the Future of Love. Uh, the hometown, uh, properly uh, where I was born and spent my first decade, is Ocean Springs, Mississippi which is right next to Biloxi, and it doesn't exist any longer. It was completely uh, destroyed by uh, Katrina. And so some of that is operating in the back of this. Uh, Notes on the future of love. Meanwhile, over in yet another time zone, somewhere between Iraq and another place hard hit, the most toxic of gumbos thickens. To the poisoned Kool-Aid taste of homemade sin, answers in progress stack, but don't add up. With every putrid breath you take, hope dissolves into streaming reruns of hell and high water. In Chinese, in Czech, in Arabic or Albanian, in Japanese or German, does the Sermon on the Mount still count? And does it say still, thou shalt not kill? In your cozy time zone, sandwiched now somehow between Iraq and another place hard hit, where do you come down on the future of love? Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from University of California Television. For more information about this and other UCTV programs, visit us online at www.uctv.tv.